Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of Leading on Purpose. I'm thrilled that you're joining me. You know, today's episode is all about helping you and your teams to navigate through change and uncertainty with far less struggle. As you listen to this podcast, your team and pretty much every team on the planet is experiencing change of some sort. Whether it's adapting to our ever-changing world of work as a result of this pandemic, or maybe it's a change in policies, procedures, or protocols, changes in technology or equipment, or changes in how you and your team members communicate and interact with one another. Regardless of the type of change, change is inevitable and constant. And yet, most experts state that anywhere from 50 to 70% of change initiatives fail. 50 to 70%, that's absolutely absurd to me. Imagine failing 50 to 70% of the time. It's just unacceptable and quite frankly, unbelievable. And yet, so many change initiatives fail to meet their intended objectives or take far too long far too much energy, and far too much stress and overwhelm to implement. So why do so many initiatives fail or take far too long? Because too many organizations and far too many leaders don't place the time, energy, planning, and focus where it needs to be, which is the people side of change, as opposed to the technical or project management side of change. Change of any kind, of course, requires moving to a new state of things, right? It involves moving from a known state, something that we're comfortable with, we know what to expect, we feel in control, it feels secure and safe, to an unknown one, right? One that might be a little scary or uncomfortable. Just the fact that it's unknown creates angst. And that movement from the current state to an unknown state requires letting go of the old and embracing the new. And letting go isn't always easy. In fact, it can be very difficult to do, which is why change results in a variety of reactions depending on our individual experiences with change, depending on the type of change, the impact that change has on each individual and what they need to let go of, right? The state of our culture, the level of trust and respect, our understanding of the change, right? Most people have a gut reaction to change that causes them to react, to behave, in either productive or unproductive ways, depending on how they feel about the change. And there's the rub, because change can only happen through people. And while change is inevitable, progress is optional. 
progress within your organization, within your team is completely 100% dependent upon how you and your team respond to change. And so today's episode is all about helping you to support your teams in transitioning through change in a way that will enable them to thrive through change instead of struggling through them, through change, to enable your teams to do more than just survive it and get through it, but to thrive and ensure that change is as successful as possible and they too are as successful as possible through that change. And so today is all about focusing on the people side of change. So let's start with really the three team responses to change. There are three different ways a team will respond to change. And we've identified those over the past 30 plus years of working with teams and leaders and helping them to execute against change and to thrive through it. And we found three different responses. So let's start with the first response. And I want you to keep your team in mind. And think about the way in which they tend to react to change. So the first response is a rigid response. This is a very visible, emotional reaction that is not positive to change. A rigid response really results in your team digging in their collective heels and resisting actively resisting that change, being very vocal about it, being negative about it, and focusing only on why that change is a terrible idea, right? When a team reacts rigidly, I like to say that that team moves to Pity City and they set up shop. They live there, right? They pitch their tents and they stay in Pity City focusing on why the change is a terrible idea and will never work and only focusing on all of the negative aspects of the change. So let me give you an example. A number of years ago, I was working with a, a large group of nurses at a large health care system. And I was leading these nurses through a coaching program, right? Helping the leaders to learn how to, to coach Um, their team members. This was a group of of nurses. And we broke for lunch and I joined one of the tables for lunch. And the group of nurses at that particular table were talking quite vividly about a change that they felt was imposed upon them at, at the hospital. And this was a change of moving from taped reporting at change of shift time to bedside reporting where they would, you know, update the incoming shift at the bedside of the patient as opposed to pre-recording it and then the new shift listening. And this group of nurses weren't having it. They were 100% opposed to this change that they felt was imposed on them. And so when I asked them, you know, what was the main root of not wanting to embrace this change or not supporting it, some of the feedback was, well, nobody asked us our opinion. This decision was made up there. We're the nurses. We know what works. We know what doesn't. And nobody asked us our opinion. We were just told that this was the change and go do it. Right? Where's the evidence that this is a better way? 
tell me, show me the evidence that says bedside reporting is better for the patient, is better for me. It's going to take more time. I don't understand why this change was made. And there's been no discussion. We've just been told to go do it. So that was their feedback. Those were the reasons for this rigid digging in the heels. We are not doing this. And they were saying, we're not going to do this change until we're forced to. And even then, we're not going to put much enthusiasm behind it as long as it doesn't impact patient care. We would never, you know, impact patient care, but we're not supporting this decision. And so that's the perfect example of a rigid response, right? A rigid response is far more likely to happen when people are not informed, when they're not engaged in understanding the what, the why, the how, when they're not asked for their input, and when they are not engaged in dialogue to really understand and share how they're feeling, what their concerns are, understanding the reasons for the change, et cetera. And a rigid response is far more likely to happen in a team where there is a lack of trust in one another and a lack of trust in leadership. And when there's a lack of dialogue, it's more likely to happen when change is imposed on the team, right? People will resist change that is done to them as opposed to by them. And there's no opportunity for the team to come together and discuss what the change means to them, how they can work through the change together, right? And a rigid response is more likely to happen when people feel that their leaders just don't care, don't care about the impact the change has on them, on their team members, on their their stakeholders, whether they're patients or, or customers, and when they don't understand why the change is happening. So that's the rigid response, okay? The second type of response is different. It's a complacent response. And while a complacent response isn't as outwardly emotional or vocal or resistant and negative, a complacent response still puts that change at risk. Because in a complacent response, there is a lack of urgency and there isn't commitment and movement forward to making that change work. I call these types of teams who respond complacently change survivors, right? They see change come and go and often that change doesn't stick. And so they put down their heads and just hope, you know what, if I don't put any energy towards this, if I don't, you know, focus on it, it will just go away, right? So I'm just going to ignore it until I'm absolutely forced to implement it. Right. And so this type of response happens when there isn't isn't a sense of urgency. There is no accountability um, from the leaders down to their team members. There's no follow through, no plan, no engagement in the team to um, ensure that it's it's being followed through on. And so it's interesting because after I, I, I chatted with that first group of nurses who were visibly upset and weren't having the change, I moved to another group of nurses. And I asked a question. I asked them, you know, to tell me about their, you know, their feelings about the change and how it's going. And this group within a different department, this was a different unit of nurses, shared, you know, we've been told about it, but there's been no follow through. 
Our understanding is some units have been implementing it, others haven't. We have no idea what we're supposed to be doing. We were told about it last month and then nothing. Um, we get bits of information here. So, you know, unless we're forced to do it or told to do it, we're not going to put any effort towards it. And so it was a very complacent response. And they thought, you know what, it's probably going to just go away. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. So the third type of response, right? So we have the rigid and the complacent. And the third type of response is the type of response you want from your team. This is your goal as a leader. And this is a flexible response. In a flexible response, when a team responds to flexibly, right, they'll drive to Pity City for a pity cup of coffee because they know it's important to vent and express themselves and hear each other's concerns and fears and, and frustrations. But the difference between a flexible team and a rigid team is that they'll drive home from Pity City looking for ways to make that change work. And so in a flexible response, in a flexible team, that team doesn't have any fewer emotions, any fewer fears or frustrations about the change. They don't necessarily agree with it any more than the rigid team does. But the difference between the flexible response and the rigid response is that in a flexible team, they do not allow their emotions to get in the way. They do not allow their emotions to dictate how they show up and contribute to that change. They don't allow their emotions to dictate their responses. Instead, the flexible team chooses to come together as a team to talk about their cha the, the change, their concerns, and finding ways to make the change work. And the flexible response doesn't mean that everyone agrees with the change, like I said. In the flexible response, team members work towards supporting the change regardless of whether they agree with it or not. And in order to as a leader, to enable a flexible response to change, it's really important to understand the different phases people go through, how people react to change in times of change, right? And a model that I use to help leaders understand the different reactions they're seeing from their team members and how to support people in transitioning through change is the William Bridges transition model. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this with you because when you understand these three phases, it creates a new awareness for you and new understanding as far as how you can be there for your team members, how you can communicate and build dialogue in a way that will enable, for example, that group of nurses to move from a very rigid stance to a more open one. And so I encourage you uh, at some point, because there's a really great visual of the William Bridges transition model online, just Google it and you'll have a great visual if you're a visual learner like myself. But these are three phases, okay? William Bridges states that there are three phases that people will go through. The first phase is the ending phase or the letting go phase. Okay, the second phase is the neutral zone. And the third phase, which is what you're working towards, is the new beginning. So let's start with the first phase. This is 
often the most painful phase. It's the letting go. It's the ending, right, of the current state. And no matter what, even if this is a change you've been excited for, maybe it's a promotion and you're moving up the ladder and you're now a leader, for example, or a senior leader, there is still discomfort. There is still letting go right? Maybe you've bought a new house or you're moving out of your family's home or you're getting married. Whatever the big event is or the change is, there is always letting go. And that letting go, as I said at the beginning, can be difficult and painful depending on our experience with change and what we need to let go of. And so I want you to think about a change that you're leading now or have been a part of. And think of the different things that you have to let go of or your team members have to let go of. There are a number of things. People end up saying goodbye to or losing, letting go of, for example, their sense of security, knowing what to expect, right? Feeling safe in their job, feeling safe at work, in their current work environment, they know what to expect, right? Control. People lose control over their jobs, over processes, over for procedures, right? Losing a sense of control. There's also when change occurs, you can lose a sense of competence, right? Maybe it's a change in procedure or new technology is coming in and you understand how to do the current way, the paper way, but now you have to do this using new technology and go paperless. I don't know how to do that. Am I going to be able to do that? What skills am I going to be able to learn? I don't really understand this new technology. So the fear of of lack of competence. Sometimes we lose relationships during restructuring. We lose our sense of direction and a sense of identity at times. These are big losses. And unless we as leaders take time to understand and empathize with those losses, people can get stuck in that ending zone and then react rigidly for a long period of time. And so when we get back from break, we're going to dive into this ending zone and what you as leaders can do in order to support your team in moving through the ending zone to the next phase, which is the neutral zone. Okay, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With Kenco's self-paced e-course, leading high-performance teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit kand.co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy 
and book your session with Nicole today. That's K-A-N-D dot C-O slash strategy. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. So before break, I introduced you to the ending zone, right? The letting go phase. And so this is the most important. This is the place to start as a leader in really taking time to understand prior to even introducing the change to your team, the impact the change is going to have on your team. What is it that they will be losing? What they will feel like they are losing? Maybe your team, for example, is experiencing a restructure, right? You're about to um, announce a new structure. You've got maybe some new leaders coming on board. There are new reporting lines, team members moving on to new teams, maybe. The, The team may be moving to a new part of the organization. There are a lot of losses in that type of change, right? There's a loss of security, around job security, even the rumor of a restructure will cause people to spiral, right, in their own minds and think about what's going to happen to my job, what's going to happen to my role, who will I be reporting to? That is a big unknown. So people will be losing a sense of security. Relationships will be lost, right? Maybe you have to work with new people. Your team members will have to work with new people and they're used to working with the people they're working with now and have developed relationships with them, right? And loss of relationships can be traumatic for people within organizations, within teams, depending on the degree of that loss and how those people are leaving and moving on. There can be a loss of a sense of direction, knowing what to expect, knowing where my career is going or where this role is going. People also have a great sense of identity tied to their team, right? And if that is rocked, then our sense of identity and self can be rocked and lost as well. And then, of course, a loss of control. And so what do people need most during this phase from their leaders? They need to be understood. They need to be heard, to be seen, to be valued and appreciated. Most importantly, to be heard and understood, right? This is a huge opportunity in this phase to build trust, to build dialogue. Trust is built when we as leaders demonstrate we understand the impact our decisions have on others. And so showing that we understand, we don't have to agree with how people are feeling, but we certainly need to understand and empathize with how people are feeling and take time to understand and show that we recognize the impact. And what people need most is the opportunity to express themselves, the opportunity to provide input, to ask questions. 
And the more information we can share early on, the easier it will be for some people to move forward if they can see a clear path for their job, if they understand how this change will work, roll out, if they understand their roles, their responsibilities, and what the impact will be at the end of the day. The more open communication, transparent and honest communication, the earlier, the better. The ease with which we can support people, the ease with which people move through the ending phase will have an impact on the rest of their transition. Now, remember, everybody is going to move through these phases at a different pace. It's not like your whole team will one day suddenly have let go and now will be in the neutral zone. You're going to have people in the ending phase, in the neutral phase, and in the new beginning phase all at once. Your job is tough. It's challenging. This is why more effort needs to be placed on people supporting people through change versus the technical aspects of the change. So this next phase, the second phase is called the neutral zone. And I really don't really understand why it's called the neutral zone because it's not exactly neutral. It doesn't feel very neutral. This, is, this phase can feel very chaotic and uncomfortable because in this phase, people really have one foot in the old and one foot in the new right? They're starting to try this new way of being. They're learning skills, right? They're hearing, for example, about new technology. They're starting, for example, to work from home if that's the change and starting to use new technology like Zoom and figuring out how to work together. But they're still wishing for the old. Or maybe if this is a new technology, they're still using the old technology, but phasing in the new technology. This can be a very chaotic and confusing time as people learn how to be in the new state of things. And it may not fully be there yet, right? You're hearing information, people are getting plans, people are being invited to training opportunities. All of these things are happening about the new change that is being implemented while they're still living and doing their current responsibilities. So it can feel very overwhelming and chaotic. But if managed effectively, this phase can also be quite innovative and freeing and an opportunity to engage people in making this change as as amazing, as effective, as successful as possible. So in this phase, in in the neutral zone, as a leader, ongoing communication, frequent communication. And I don't mean one-way communication, you telling your team members what to expect and what's coming down the pipe. No, this is all about creating dialogue and inviting feedback. What's working? What's not? How's it going? Understanding the impact of change, understanding what people need in order to make this work. Are there some changes we need to make? What do we need to do to support each other? How is this impacting our customers or our patients? How can we minimize the negative impact to them and make this even more effective? This is a time for innovation, if managed well, and making the change even better and supporting people through it. And then finally, there's the new beginning, right? Where people are either at a point of accepting the change, they're in it, they may not love it, they may not agree with it, but they're doing it and they're doing it well. 
or they've fully embraced it, they fully support it, and they're fully on board. Either way, this is where the change is, is unfolding and people are in it and are, are living it effectively. So understanding these three phases, in particular, the letting go phase and preparing to support people in letting go is one of the most important rules you have as a leader leading change. Okay, so let's look more closely into at how we can, how you can support your team members in letting go and getting to a place of support. And I'm going to share another model. Today is a, a day of models. And these are two of the most powerful models I've come across um, when it comes to leading change. And they're powerful because they're simple and they are practical. And they give you as a leader a framework for which to lead your teams through and really prepare and focus on the people side. So this next model is one of the cornerstone models of leading effective change and ensuring a flexible response. And it was developed by Kurt Lewin. So you might be familiar with it in in the 1940s, and it still holds true today. And the Kurt Lewin change model refers to a three-stage process of effective change. And like I said, it's one of the most powerful, relevant, practical models that I've come across. And as a leader, when you align your focus and planning to these three phases, your team will be more able to support change and implement it effectively, even if they don't agree with it. So the model is quite simple. Um, As I said, Lewin defines three stages of change. And and what I just shared with you, the the Kurt, um, sorry, the William Bridges model is overlaid onto this model, okay? And Lewin is a physicist, or was, I should say, was a physicist and and was also a social scientist. And he explained organizational change using the analogy of changing the shape of a block of ice. So let's say you have a large cube of ice, but decide you don't want it to be in the shape of a cube. You want it to be in the shape of a cone, right? So what do you do? Well, first, you must melt the ice, right, to make it amenable to change. That's the first phase of this model, unfreezing. Then you must mold the ice water into a shape you want, into the cone shape. And this is sort of the transition or the change phase. And then finally, you need to solidify the new shape, the new cone shape, which is the refreeze phase. So there are three phases of change, of the people side of change. There's the unfreeze, the transition, and the refreeze. So the first phase, the unfreeze phase, is all about unfreezing people's mindset and readying them for the change to come. This first phase is about helping people to let go of the current state and prepare for the change that is coming. This happens before the change occurs. In unfreeze, it's important to introduce the change early, early enough for teams to participate in dialogue, to understand the impact, to get a sense of what's to come and why and to provide enough opportunity for team members to share their fears, et cetera. Okay, so we're going to come back to this first phase because it's essential, and I'm going to be sharing some best practices with you. 
The second phase is the transition phase. This is where the change happens, where project plans are implemented, where people learn new processes, skills, begin to change behaviors and operate in new new ways. And then the third phase, this is the refreeze phase. In other words, making the change stick so that people don't revert back to the old ways of doing things, right? The refreeze stage is essential that, so that peop, it's, it sticks over the long term. So if we're moving from one technology to another, or if we're moving, we're changing behaviors and how we interact, that those behaviors stick, Okay. Now, before we review best practices for each phase, let's consider which is the most important phase. Which of the three do you think is most important for successful change? Unfreeze, transition, or refreeze? So I'm going to tell you without a doubt, and it's interesting because when I ask this question of leaders, I get a number of different responses and they're all interesting and, and valid. But at the end of the day, there is one phase that is the most important phase, and that is the unfreeze phase. Why? Because this phase affects the success of the ones that follow. If people aren't prepared to change, if they haven't begun to let go and are as ready as possible, the change will most likely fail. Remember the 50 to 70% or will take longer, will be more painful and far will require far more energy. Now, The unfreeze phase is the most important phase, 100%. But where do most organizations start? They start in transition. They more often than not just, they start the change. They introduce it and say, go. With very little priming of the pump or readying people to become open and supportive of the change. And that is one of the biggest impacts on 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 change success. So let's apply this model to the example of of the nurses that I shared at the beginning. If the organization, if this hospital that I had been working with had taken time to unfreeze before introducing and imposing the change and telling the nurses that they are now in a month, right? Or next week, it was very quick, going to move from tape reporting to bedside reporting. If they had taken time to unfreeze, they would have taken time to build support for change prior to the change being implemented. So let's consider what people need to get to a place of support. That's what happens in the unfreeze phase, building support for change, even if they don't agree with it. So first, let's talk about what we mean by support. If you're asking your team members to support a change, what would you expect? And when I ask leaders the same question, the answers include, well, I would expect that they would make the change a priority. I would expect that they would do their very best to make the change work. I would expect that they would be engaged in it, that they would ask questions, they would give feedback, they would share their concerns, they would participate, and they would come with solutions rather than just simply problems. And they would be open to trying new things. Great. That's exactly the definition of support. Now, let's look at what people need in order to demonstrate support for change, even if they don't agree with it. Because understanding what people need will help you to more effectively unfreeze. So imagine you are being asked to support a change 
that you don't agree with. And this happens all the time. We're told by the people at the top, the powers that be, that this is coming down the pipe and it's your job as a leader to roll it out and make it work, right? And we may not, you may not agree with that change, but you have to get to a place of support quite quickly. So imagine you're being asked to support a change that you don't agree with. What would you need to get to a place of support? You would likely need to understand the vision for the change, why the change is occurring, right? What's the evidence and the reason that this is the way to go? What are we trying to achieve here? You would likely need to understand how that decision was made, including who was involved, who was included, whose input was sought. How do we know this is a great idea? You would likely want to understand how the change will be rolled out. What's the plan? What are the resources? What's the impact on you, your team, your customers, your stakeholders? You'd likely want to understand what's expected of you and your team. And you'd also likely need to be heard, right? Ideally, for your opinion to be sought. You'd like to be given the time, right? And the resources and the ability to develop the skills needed. That is what people need to be able to get to a place of support, especially if they don't agree with the change. But even if they do, they're still going through the letting go phase. They're still experiencing fear and concerns. And it's our job to paint, not only paint a complete picture for our team members, but to help them fill in and paint as well. We're in this together to create that dialogue needed. And so when we get back from break, I'm going to share with you some key strategies and really practical steps to help you focus on the unfreeze phase, to help your team members to let go and to get to a place of support. Okay, so we'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy and book your session with Nicole today. That's kand.co slash strategy. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With KNCO's self-paced e-course, Leading High-Performance Teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit KAND. .co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. 
Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. Hey, before we jump into some of the best practices to help your teams to let go and unfreeze, I want to just let you know, we have a phenomenal workshop called Embracing Change that's now being delivered virtually for leaders. And it really builds a leader's skill and awareness in not only leading others through transformational change, but leading self. Because while this you know, podcast is, has been focused on you leading others through change, change is hard on you too. Change is hard. Leaders are people too, right? Um, and so, and we don't always get as leaders what we need from our leaders. And so the session Embracing Change is also about leading self through change and building our own individual resilience in times of change. So I encourage you to check that out. It's, it's a very powerful workshop. All right. So back to the unfreeze. And remember, this is a most important phase. And when leaders don't focus on this phase or organizations don't schedule the time in the project plan for the people side of change for the unfreeze side, the change will fail or will take longer and more energy and all of that stuff. So what are the best practices, right? Well, the first one as a leader, when we're thinking about unfreezing, is to prepare, 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 prepare to introduce the change to your team. Take time to reflect and prepare how you will introduce the change to your team. Too often I find with the leaders that I coach is that, you know, the change will come down to them or they'll hear that a change is coming and they'll, they'll tell their team about it but in a way that that creates more concern or fear and and doesn't demonstrate understanding of how people might react or what they're going to need to let go of. So it takes time. It's important to prepare for how you're going to communicate. And in that preparation, it's important to consider a few things. Consider A, how your team is going to respond. What are the different reactions you might get from team members? Will some react rigidly, right? Will some react openly? How might people react? It's also really important, and this will help you determine to a degree how people will react, is what will team members be letting go of? What is ending? Will they be letting go of a sense of security, of control, of relationships, of identity, of competence? What is it that they're going to be, in, in, in fact, mourning the loss of when you introduce this change? And it's important to remember when you introduce change that you may be introducing it in such a way that you're, you're really communicating the vision and, and all of the great reasons from a business case perspective for this change But what people are hearing and listening for is not the business case. It's how is this going to impact me? When they go home at night and tell their family about the change, they're not talking about the business case. They're talking about the impact that the change has on them, on their colleagues, on their customers or their patients, right? So keep that in mind when you're preparing to introduce the change. And preparing also means Asking yourself, how are you going to engage your team in dialogue? 
how are you going to introduce it in such a way that it's not you just imposing change on them and telling them that this is coming, but that it creates the ability for questions and concerns being shared in a way that people feel safe to share, right? And so you may get crickets, right? You may introduce the change and then ask, okay, so what does this change mean to us? What's coming up for you? What questions do you have? What concerns do you have? What feedback would you like to share? You may ask really great open-ended questions in the hopes that people will share and you'll get silence. And that's okay because people are just digesting it or maybe they don't feel safe to share. And we're going to get to that in a, in a, in a little bit towards the end of the podcast around the, the climate of your team. But don't give up. Just because you share it once and don't get any feedback or nobody's sharing how they feel, keep at it. When you pass somebody in the hallway or you stop by their desk, ask, so what's coming up for you now? Have you had a chance to digest that change? What are your thoughts? I know that this is going to be hard because I understand you're going to you know, have to let go of this or that. I'm here to support you, right? Follow up. Prepare to communicate early, openly, and frequently. Communicating once isn't going to make much of a difference. In fact, if we only communicate once, it's going to open up the rumor mill. People are going to make their assumptions and spiral in their own ways. Communicating frequently, even if there isn't anything to communicate, communicate that. There's no more information. But what questions do you have that would be helpful for me to know as I get more information, right? Or what concerns do you have? And commit to come back again in a week's time, even if there is nothing else to share. That's what you share. Okay, so prepare for that. Prepare for, make a plan for how you can engage them in the actual change, right? how you will get their input, how you will capture their feedback. Remember, people resist change that is done to them and will be open to change that is done by them. And so actually on our website, um, we have a change preparation checklist that gives you all the things you need to be prepared for, okay? And so go to kand.co slash tools and you'll see the change preparation checklist there. It's also important to gather as much information and be as transparent as you can in sharing that information. Remember, the what. What's the vision for the change? Why are we changing? What's the plan? And you may not have all of the information, but share what you can. The earlier, the better. Get ahead of the rumor mills. And be honest and transparent. And by honest and transparent, I don't mean everything is rainbows and unicorns and only focusing on all the good things that will come of the change. No, by honest and transparent, I mean sharing the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Being honest about the negative impacts as much as the positive impacts. And then finally, the third, the second piece, right? Well, this is really third. One is prepare, two, early, open, frequent communication, and three, clarify expectations. 
clarify what your team members need from one another and from you in order to effectively move through this change. And a really great tool to do that is by developing team agreements with your team. So for those of you who aren't familiar with team agreements, they are my favorite tool because they're the most powerful tool in a leader and team's arsenal of tools, toolkit. And a set of team agreements define the behaviors and practices that the team identifies as most important to the team right now. And so in the context of change, let's say you introduce that there's going to be um, a restructure, right? And and you share what that restructure is. And you've, you've talked about it, right? You're a couple of weeks in of the unfreeze phase where you've been sharing information and people are starting to digest it, right? And have a better sense of it. People are going to be feeling different ways about it. You can introduce team agreements and you introduce them simply by, you know, clarifying that it's really important for me as your leader and for one another, each of you to really understand what you each need from one another. How do we need to show up as our best selves in order to support each other through this, in order to make this change work and as smooth as possible? So you can simply ask your team to complete the the following sentence. In order to support each other through this change, we need to do what? Right? Or in order to be the best possible team through this change, we need to do what? And invite your team members to, to complete that sentence. And perhaps they'll say, in order to support each other through this change, we need to be patient with one another. Or we need to provide feedback. We need to listen. We need to be asked for our opinions. We need to bring solutions whenever we bring an issue. We need to approach the change with a positive mindset, right? Or we need to focus on what we can control and not on what's outside of our control. Whatever it may be, Simply asking your team members what it is that they feel the team needs to do. What are those behaviors and practices that are most important right now? Even just having that conversation helps people to unfreeze, to focus on the future, to focus on how their best selves, how they need to show up in order to make this work, in order to be there for their colleagues. And so that first step is capturing those ideas and then bringing your team to consensus on the most important behaviors and practices. So where you'll end up is a list of, you know, five to seven behaviors and practices that your team, not you, your team has identified as essential. And then that set of team agreements can be used by your team to guide themselves. You can check in on those team agreements once a week, once a month and say, hey, how are we doing, right? with having a positive attitude? How are we doing asking for help? How are we doing sharing feedback? And and focusing your team on those behaviors and practices that they identify are essential in order to thrive through change. And you can get your team agreements tool, a complete guide to developing team agreements um, on our website, kand.co slash tool. Now, the teams that I work with, those that take time during times of change to develop team agreements 
are those teams that more effectively implement that change? Are those teams that build dialogue? Are those teams that build trust because they're clarifying expectations of one another and talking about how we need to show up in order for this change to to work, in order to thrive through change? That in and of itself helps people transition through that change. Okay, so I encourage you to develop a set of team agreements with your team, especially if you're experiencing a lot of change right now. So we talked about unfreeze. The second piece is transition, right? This requires ongoing communication. This requires ongoing feedback, the resources, the support, engagement and role modeling from you being there for your team, walking the talk, right? And then finally, the refreeze stage, this is important, celebrating, reinforcing what's working and celebrating that, reinforcing the change so that it sticks, having a mechanism to assess that change, Okay, and show the results of the change, value and appreciate people's efforts. Okay, now we've been talking a lot about the need for dialogue, the need for people to have that safe space to vent, to express. That can only happen in a healthy team climate. And so, you know, I've shared models with you that are powerful. But those models won't work unless your team is operating on a foundation of trust and respect, right? That where they feel safe to speak up. Now, these models help to build that trust, but it's far easier when you already have an effective team. And so if you aren't operating in a healthy climate, That's the place to start building the trust that's needed. So I encourage you to check out the seven elements of a high performance team. Okay. And I, and have your team complete a team assessment that helps them and you identify where are the areas that we need to strengthen in order to strengthen our trust, in order to strengthen our ability to change. Because the more information you have from your team members around what's working and what's not, the better, the better able you will be to build your team's resilience and change compatibility. So I encourage you to go to teamfitnesstool.com slash ebook. Download that ebook and that will give you a complete overview of what a high performance team looks like. And then you can complete the team assessment, have your team complete the team assessment so that you're better prepared to function at your very best as a team through change. Okay, so that's the place to start is building the trust and dialogue needed to thrive during times of change. Focus on letting go focus on unfreezing and building trust and respect. All right. And with that, I wish you an amazing week and I'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.